0: In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. The story of Job begins much the same way every other story begins. We have a setting, we have a character, and eventually we have a conflict that someone has to overcome. We don't know who wrote this book. We don't know when it was written. We have clues in the story itself that it took place about 4,000 years ago. Job is generally referred to as wisdom literature. So, in the Bible, it would be alongside books like Proverbs, which is a book of, kind of pithy sayings about wisdom to live your life by, or Ecclesiastes, a reflection on the meaninglessness of life. It has the elements of a drama or an epic, but strangely, as far as literature is concerned, not of a history, but through the setting of a celestial courtroom, the author of Job Creates a framework to explore the age old question what is the origin of our suffering? Now, the first thing we discover about Job is that he's basically perfect. The Hebrew word translated blameless and upright, they don't actually mean that Job never made a mistake, but they suggest that he lived a well rounded life, a life of integrity. And the second thing that we discover right off the bat is that Job is stinking rich. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. You probably stopped paying attention halfway through the list of all the animals he had. He had so much. Job was blameless and upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. And yet, despite all of this, his life fell apart in an instant. Let's imagine, our unknown author suggests, that the origin of our suffering lies with God. What would that be like? Sometimes I'm amazed at how God allows himself to be portrayed, because God made room for, and we would even say inspired, this story to find its way into our sacred scriptures. But this morning, we're continuing a series this month called Old School Bible Fights. And so rather than exploring the theme of suffering itself, which lies at the heart of the book, we're going to pay attention to the way that the characters approach the theme of suffering. So, following the devastating events we heard in this morning's reading, Job is tested again. Basically, it goes like this Satan goes back into this celestial courtroom and says, Okay, like, I get it, Job's still serving you, but that's because you wouldn't let me hurt him. He still has his health. If you let me actually take down his health, then he will curse you. Surely he will. And God's like, all right, sure, we'll keep playing this game. And uh, he lets uh, Satan go, and all of a sudden, Job is covered from head to toe um, with sores. So we're going to pick up the story in Job chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones. He will surely curse you to his face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. What a terrible vision. Can you even imagine scraping the sores off of your body with a piece of broken pottery? Like, that's painful stuff, and it's just disgusting. So at this point in the, in the story, Job's wife enters the scene. She shows up as he's sitting there, having his whole life destroyed, head to toe and sores, and she says to him, are you still hanging on to your integrity? Curse God and die. What a woman. Speaking it like it is. Now, before we judge her too harshly, we have to remember that she's living through the same disaster herself, right? Her livelihood has just been destroyed too. Her family has been destroyed by this terrible events, and her husband is sitting there and sores from head to toe, and she's like, enough of this faithfulness, enough of this integrity. I think the truth is, if we're honest, most of us would probably react more like Job's wife. Probably if most of our lives crumbled to the ground, we wouldn't say, well, praise God. Most of us would probably say, oh, enough with this business. But in trying to support her husband, she ends up leaving him feeling even more isolated. But in his response, Job doubles down on his faithfulness. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Now please, do not try to get away with using this by quoting the Bible. Don't say to your spouse, you're talking like a foolish woman. And then she gets mad at you and you respond, it's in the Bible. Right? You can't do that. It will not work. With his integrity still intact then, Job is joined in his suffering by three close friends who were told, met together by agreement, to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. There's something about a person's physical presence when life is falling apart. You know you're not alone. Even if you feel like it, the person sitting beside you reminds you that you're actually not alone. Now, I have to say this. Um, Last Sunday morning, I shared a reflection. We were talking about the theme of rejection, And I shared a reflection on last year, and I referred to 2018 and the journey that our church went through. I said, you know, rejection was one of the main kind of words of the year. And then I kind of went on with the sermon, and about 30 seconds afterward, I remembered that I forgot to say something really important. But it would have been too awkward to stop then and rewind, so I kept going, and now I'm coming back to it a week later. Because I wanted to say that, yeah, rejection, there was a lot of rejection around here last year as we went through some difficult times. But the truth of the story is that there was way more support. See see why I was annoyed at myself for not saying that, right? I left it like this negative story, but there's not. Like, look at everyone here, and people who have become part of our community in the last year. I mean, there's been way more support, and I felt that all the way through too, and I can't believe I forgot to say that last week, because I know what it's like to be in this place where you feel like everything's crumbling, and to have people come alongside you, and just sit with you, and just be present with you. And just say, hey, I'm on your team. I'm with you. And so perhaps then, it was the silent support of Job's friends that created a space for him to pour out his feelings. In the words of one author, encircled by love and suffering shared. We'll pick it up in Job chapter 3. After this, after he was surrounded by his friends, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said a boy is born. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. That night. May thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. He continues a little while later in verse 23. Verse 23. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Now that's a response, right? That sounds maybe a little more like how we would respond if our life crumbled around us. That's the kind of response we can identify with. But this unfiltered honesty stirred something in Job's previously silent friends. For seven days, they sat quietly with him, just being present. But when he burst out with this burst of honesty, they turned and they spoke. Job chapter 4, then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you're dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence in your blameless ways your hope? Consider now, who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God, they perish. At the blast of his anger, they are no more." A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on people. Fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his Maker? Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. We have examined this, and it is true, so hear it and apply it to yourself. In other words, when he starts complaining, his friends pipe in and say, there's got to be a reason for this disaster. You must have done something wrong. Rachel Held Evans writes that the annoying thing about being human is that to be fully engaged with the world, we must be vulnerable. And the annoying thing about being vulnerable is that sometimes it means we get hurt. Job was vulnerable. He was open. He was honest with his friends. And they turned on him. Sometimes even well-meaning people can hurt us by the things they say. And sometimes, if we dare to admit it, we are those well-meaning people. We say something to, to correct a person or to make them... Understand that we know better when all that we should be doing is sitting with them. I know all about this. I'm the kind of person who wants to solve a problem. I want to figure things out. And if you were to ask my wife, she would tell you, I want to be right. I get it. I get their perspective totally. Philip Yancey, in his book Disappointment with God, writes, knowledge is passive, intellectual. Suffering is active, personal. No intellectual answer will solve suffering. You see, Job's friends wrestled theologically and intellectually with the reasons for his suffering, but what happened at the end of the day? Well, Job responds to them. A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams. It's like, you know what? Even if I curse God, you should be like, hey, we're with you. But you don't. You turn on me at my lowest moment. Well, as the story continues, this group of friends argue back and forth with increasing volume and intensity as they seek an explanation for Job's sudden misfortunes. What started out as a beautiful picture of friendship begins to fray at the edges. You see, for Job, their arguments didn't make sense because he knew that he'd live with integrity. There must be some other explanation. So who was right? Was it Job, or was it his friends? A man who lived on the northern frontier of China was skilled in interpreting events. One day, for no reason, his horse ran away to the nomads across the border. Everyone tried to console him, but his father said, What makes you so sure this isn't a blessing? Some months later, his horse returned, bringing a splendid nomad stallion. Everyone congratulated him, but his father said, What makes you so sure this isn't a disaster? their household was richer by a fine horse, which his son loved to ride. One day he fell and broke his hip. Everyone tried to console him, but his father said, what makes you so sure this isn't a blessing? A year later, the nomads came in force across the border, and every able-bodied man took his bow and went into battle. The Chinese frontiersmen lost nine out of every ten men. Only because the son was lame did the father and son survive to take care of each other. Truly, blessing turns into disaster, and disaster to blessing. Is see, understanding why things happen is no easy task. When we find ourselves in disagreement with someone about what is right, what is wrong, what is blessing, what is disaster, we should be cautious. Like the townsfolk, we risk making similar mistakes known as leaps of abstraction. Peter Senge, an author, a professor at MIT, writes that leaps of abstraction occur when we move from direct observations to generalizations without testing. So here's an example from our story. He, Senge suggests three questions that we should ask. The first is, what do I believe about the way that the world works? And so the characters in our story believe that God blesses the innocent and punishes the guilty. Why would they, how do we know this? Well, Job 8 verse 20, one of his friends, Bildad, says, Surely God does not reject a blameless man or strengthen the hand of evildoers. His friend Eliphaz says in chapter 22, Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. So their way of seeing the world and understanding the world was, God blesses the innocent, God punishes the guilty. So the second question Senge suggests we ask is, what am I basing my generalizations on? Well, that's observation. Many innocent people are doing well in life, and many guilty people are suffering. They would have seen this happening in Job's day, and we can see the same thing happening in our day We could all point to many people in our lives who live good lives and are doing well for themselves, and people who make terrible decisions and their lives are crumbling around. We could find that evidence for sure. But then the third question is the really important one. Am I willing to consider that this generalization may be inaccurate or misleading? Because many guilty people are also well-off, and many innocent people are also suffering. The problem with Job according to his friends, was that he was willing to consider that his view of God may have been inaccurate and misleading. Now, I didn't think that I would ever make a reference to this movie again, but a couple weeks ago, my daughter and a bunch of her 16-year-old friends got together at our house to watch High School Musical, so I thought, I will go ahead and quote from it. Like, why not? Um, I guess I had these songs sticking in my head for some reason, and one of them goes like this, uh, No, 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 stick to the stuff you know. If you want to be cool, follow one simple rule. Don't mess with the flow. No, no. Stick to the status quo. That's as close to singing as you're going to get out of me. No, his friends are like, no, no, no. Don't, don't mess with this. We know how God is. We know how the world is. Guilty people punished, Innocent people blessed. We know that's the way it works. Don't try to mess with the formula. Just stick with the status quo. But Job's like, yeah, no, that's not the way that things work. He said, when a scourge brings sudden death... God mocks the despair of the innocent. When a land falls into the hands of the wicked, he blindfolds his judges. If it is not he, then who is it? God's like, look around you. There are so many innocent people who suffer. How can that possibly be God doing? Like, what's going on here? In his despair, Job starts questioning his generalizations, his assumptions. He's like, the world is not as simple as we've thought that it is. But his friend's reaction against his questioning is fierce. Are you the first man ever born? Were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on God's counsel? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we don't know? What insights do you have that we don't have? They just couldn't imagine that things could ever be different than what they knew. Last week marked an ominous anniversary of sorts. It was 27 years since Pope John Paul II admitted that the Catholic Church had erred in the year 1633 by forcing Galileo to recant his view that the earth revolves around the sun took a few hundred years, 360-some years, to admit that the earth revolves around the sun. It's tough, sometimes more so for church people than other people, to admit when the way that we see the world might be mistaken. As the Pope explained, they were operating on what they knew at the time. And so we certainly can't look back and, and scoff at them and say, well, those terrible people, they're so dumb, how did they not know? No, 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 they were operating on what they knew at the time. We just have to look at our own lives and say, are we making assumptions or generalizations that people 300 years from now will also laugh at us for? Like Galileo, Job's unique life experience, the sudden collapse of his life gave him the courage to rethink his assumptions and avoid the dangerous leap of abstraction. And so the difference between Job and his friends will boil down to experience. He has this one quote, he says, men at ease have contempt for misfortune. When your life's going well, it's easy for you to look down on someone whose life isn't. When you've got things all together, neat and tidy, it's easy for you to look at someone whose life is falling apart at the seams. I saw this headline in the news a couple of weeks ago. It was ridiculous. Woman fakes pregnancy to avoid excess baggage fees. Seriously. So here's a picture of her stuffing a bunch of clothes into this like jumper, and then she goes onto the plane like this. And the, re- the only reason she was caught and discovered and this made the news is because she made the mistake of, hiding her laptop in her, the back of her jumper there. And so she had this giant rectangle in the back and didn't look naturally pregnant, I guess. Now I'll be like, this is no fair. It's like you either live it or you don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't get the benefits of being pregnant or whatever the analogy is here, I don't know. But you can't fake, you can't fake your way along. You can't fake your way along. It doesn't work like that. And so, Job is talking, looking at his friends. He's like, you know, you guys don't even know. You don't even, like, you're pretending you're, you're pregnant, but you're not. You're pretending you've experienced suffering, but you haven't. You don't know what it's like to be me. And his friends' limited experience, in this case, their exclusion from significant hardship, they had not pressed them into the point of being willing to reconsider the way that they saw the world. Wendy Vanderwalgritter Gritter writes, you can't afford the luxury of certainty when the question isn't out there somewhere, Right? When the question is right up close, in your face, your life, it forces you to ask good questions. So, chapter after chapter, Job and his friends argue about where suffering and blessing come from, and while they fiercely disagree, each one is sure that the other one is wrong. And I'm sure that some of you here have raised serious questions about faith, or the Bible, or God, and have had your questioning questioned. And maybe you stopped asking, because you're tired of people questioning your good questions. Maria Popova writes that to hold space for complexity, to resist the violence of containing and classifying what transcends familiar labels, takes patience and a certain kind of moral courage. I want to pick up the narrative a little later on, Job chapter 31 There's thirty five to thirty-six. This is a little bit of an aside. It's in parenthesis in the text. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. Like a prince, I would approach him. See, he looks and says, You know, I've enough of fighting with my friends here. I want someone to answer. God, I want you to answer. Who's right in this argument? Most of us will never experience the depth of Job's angst, but we'll probably all experience the same sense of longing for God, longing desperately for God to answer, to clarify, to respond. Now, assuming they knew what God's response would be, even as friends press, are these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? They're saying the same thing: God, speak up, correct this guy. And then, finally, after 36 chapters of arguing, God re-enters the story and and contributes a few words of his own. I'm just going to read a little sample. Chapter 38, verse 1 to 7, and 16 to 21. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together? And all the angels shouted for joy. God's response goes on. And then he picks it up. Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war? He continues. Later on. Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who endowed the heart with wisdom and gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens? It continues on and on. For the next two chapters, God rebukes Job's accusations, addressing his and indirectly our inability to speak with certainty about the way that the world works. One author writes, like Job and his companions, our words about God are too often definitive, absolute, and proclaimed with an authority greater than their source. We have a certainty about God and His ways that leads us to replace the mystery of faith with manageable spiritual formulas. I could blush when I think about how certain I was of things in the past, and I'm sure many of you could as well, things you, you knew you had the answers to, you knew you were right about, you knew were so obvious, and that you don't know anymore. God's blast of a response drops Job to his knees. Chapter 40 begins this way. Well, this is God finishing here. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him, and then Job answers the Lord. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, I will say no more. It's like, that's enough. Richard Rohr writes that moments of vulnerability are the space where God can most easily break in with fresh experience. In fact, I doubt if God can break through in any other way. And I think that's what happened here. Job was vulnerable. He vented, he ranted, he threw everything out there before God, and that was the time and the moment that God broke through to him. God goes on for another couple of chapters, and finally we get to the final chapter of this epic poem, the book of Job. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours could be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, that must have made Job's friends happy, right? There he is dust and ashes groveling before God to forgive him for his foolishness. They would now be vindicated, surely, because Job was in the wrong for speaking words without knowledge. Heck no! God turns on them. He's like, boys, come on over here for a minute. Paraphrasing. He's like, you guys suck as friends, and so you all need to present a big offering to me, and then you need to go back to Job and beg him to pray for you. And if he does then maybe I'll save your lives. they are like, what? So Job wasn't right. He gets scolded by God. His friends weren't right. They got scolded by God. And I think there's something powerful in that story that is reminding us that there's just more to it than we can figure out. Neither party knew right from wrong because no one could see the whole picture. So I'll close with this. I read an article a couple of days ago about, uh, this, is, this is what uh, it says, a child prodigy, this little fella here, Child prodigy from Belgium is on course to gain a bachelor's degree at the tender age of nine. He then plans on to embark on a PhD program in electrical engineering while also studying for a medicine degree. His life goal is to develop artificial organs. He's going to develop artificial organs. He's a nine-year-old. So I'm like writing this sermon all about like how... We're all so confident in what we know, and we're sure we're right, and we argue with the people in our lives and prove ourselves right. And it's like, oh, yeah, this nine-year-old knows way more than, like, you'll ever know in your life. Just a good reminder of how little I actually know. In the end, Job realized where he stood with respect to God. And as the ancient story ends, with God restoring all of Job's fortunes and blessing his family, symbolic, I think, of the blessing that comes if we are willing to admit that we don't always know right from wrong. So may we all learn to carry that kind of humility into our relationships with one another.